Hey, Nikki. Hey, Selena. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sweet Tea and TV. Hey, y'all. They don't know it, but it's been a while. It has. Yeah. It's just, I think every time we record lately, there's a little bit bigger of a gap between. That's right. So, <laughs> This is our attempt to be more real time. I, and I think we're doing a really great job. So there's that. But... A little bit stressful for me because I have nothing saved up in the queue. <laughs> I'm going to have to edit this one in real time and get it up for next week. Well, let me hurry then. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I can't, I couldn't help but like look at the calendar and realize that like, I, I can't believe it. It's something that comes along with age, I guess. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, is that somehow we're at November and somehow Thanksgiving is literally right around the corner. And here before we know it. I know. Um, turkey day, big day. And I just thought maybe we could just take a second and talk about, you know, the big day. You got any big plans? Anything on the, <laughs> anything on the horizon? No, I'm trying, I'm actively trying not to think too hard about it. Oh, good. Did I bring some stress to the table? Yeah. Well, it's Thanksgiving. At least two thanksgiving celebrations that we do every year Mm -hmm. and so it's that careful dance of in the limited time off that you have from work how do you get them all in so i've got to figure out how to balance thursday and maybe friday but possibly also saturday and then in between when are we going to get our christmas tree and then am i going to do black friday shopping and then with my in-laws, we're going to do Secret Santa again this year. And mm-hmm. so I want to do some sort of like big fun drawing for everybody to pick their Secret Santa. Mm-hmm. And so I've been like racking my brain about that for probably a week and a half now. So there's just a lot of, you know, all the things have stuff. to align. Like good, good things, but like a lot of planning. A lot of, yeah, a lot of things, uh, balls in the air that you have to make sure don't fall. So um, instead of giving you post-traumatic stress disorder, how about we take it this route? And I'm just going to ask, what food have you missed the most, you know, that you're excited to get your hands on? Oh, what a good question. Or if there's like something you're excited to make. That's so really. Do you want to know something funny? Is I am not the world's biggest cranberry sauce fan. Um, uh, which kind? The kind that falls out of the can, the kind that's like homemade and has like the bits in it. Or so both. it's funny you say that. Mm-hmm. What I was just about to say is I think it's because I identify cranberry sauce with the jellied cranberry sauce. Yeah. Which is the only kind Kyle likes. That's his favorite kind. I think it is so gross. <laughs> yeah, I, I under I understand. It definitely. Um, it's kind of like Jello though. Yeah. It is. It's it's too tart for me or mm. something. And so you need a lingonberry. Maybe. Well, so what I've done the last couple of years is I do both. I buy a can because mm-hmm. it's so cheap. It's like a dollar. So if that makes Kyle happy, I throw a dollar at him every now and then. But the other thing I'll do. <laughs> You're welcome, Kyle. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> I love you. Uh, is I've been doing the whole cranberry sauce. So like mm-hmm. buying the bag of cranberries, boiling them on the stove. So you like that better? I think I like that better. Okay. It tastes more. It tastes more wholesome or something. Okay. Yeah, I get that. I think for me, the whole cr- the only thing I don't like is I sometimes I feel like I'm <laughs> picking stuff out of my oh, mouth. That's you know, terrible. Uh, maybe uh, I don't want to insult anybody. Maybe that shouldn't be happening. I, I don't, don't know. think so. Okay. Um, so, uh, or it's probably stuff that other people might be okay with going, but I'm like, what is this? What so I'm this? trying to remember. Like it, the recipe I followed the most recent couple of years has like um, 
orange zest in it mm-hmm. or lime zest. Um, but it's got to be orange, right? feel like I strained it off or something. Hmm. I don't know. Well, good job, Grandma. Thanks for ruining things. Oh, don't believe me. Years. Don't no, believe me. Kidding. Whatever your grandma does is probably the right way. Oh, it Nothing anymore. We don't. Oh, <laughs> oh not like that. <laughs> no, 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 neither grandmother really does the, like, the, the tradition is past. The, right. The, yeah. Grandmas are still alive. Grandmas are still, okay. okay. Sorry. Like, it's been yeah. a while, Did Selena. You, I don't think it's been that long. How long has it been? Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. I grandma, feel like I've got, I don't know if there's any real wood. Yeah, no, grandma's fine. Uh, so yeah, the cranberry sauce in turkey is something I'm kind of excited about. Pecan pie, I'm mm. very excited about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and you know what? Thanksgiving has never been one of my favorite holidays. Like, it's always just sort of the the thing we have to clear to get to Christmas. The older I get, the more I love it. Yeah. It's the start of cozy season. Mm-hmm. Like, it's the start of everything that's to come. September 1 is the start of cozy season for, for me. For some people. Yeah. No, I, September I, I jump in with two feet. You no. know, when it's 112 degrees outside, I'm like, mm, cozy season. The last time we recorded, I guess, would have been in late September, and Selena was wearing a straight-up sweater and jeans. And I was like, what are you? I'm, like, dripping sweat. And she's, like, in a sweater and jeans. <laughs> it was that sleeveless sweater. So it was, like, not quite sweater sweater. Yeah. Hey, how dare you? (sighs) Made me hot. Made me hot. What about Uh, you? What foods are you excited about? Uh, well, I am excited about anything that starts and ends with a casserole. Oh yeah. Um, I mean any of them. So I just I like green bean casserole. I love green bean casserole. Um, but like also like squash casserole or any kind of corn casserole. casserole, any kind of souffle. I made a corn souffle last weekend that I'm going to have to make for you at some point. It comes from the Joanna Gaines cookbook. Now we're talking. And it's um, like Jiffy cornbread mix with creamed corn and regular sweet corn, some sugar. It's very good. Yeah, add some sweetness to that Jiffy cornbread. For God's sake. It's embarrassing how much sugar it goes into casseroles for like the big holidays God, it's just you know, i'm like really sugar in the green bean casserole okay yeah yeah whatever <laughs> you not need really sugar there no let me just be clear yeah <laughs> somebody's like that's not right that's not you're doing that all wrong also deviled eggs are another food that i get really excited about around the holidays yeah i don't it's although like... those wind up making it all year round um, especially in Casey's family. Oh, um, yeah. I don't know how that, you know, everybody has their own traditions, right? Yeah. Um, but that's like an all year long food. But it doesn't matter because it's just, they're delicious. I want them all the time. I boil eggs a lot, but I don't go the extra step of like the the inside part, the yolk yeah. and all that. So I get really excited about that. Yeah, that's a, that's a lot of work. So I guess the other thing is, is like, yes, I'm going to be super late to this trend. But also trends happen really, really fast. Like, <laughs> aka definition of a trend but i also mean like today like it feels like something comes up because of like tiktok or something and then it's just like here and then it's gone mm. you know or it just feels like it gets battered to death mm-hmm. um but i want to do a butterboard and i've been wanting to do a one butterboard i don't know what this is you queen of tiktok have not seen this uh-uh. it just must not be part of your algorithm 
No, I get a lot of Taylor Swift content these days. Okay. Well, like I'm surprised lot. she doesn't have something where she's making a butterboard. Butterboard. Yeah. So basically, um, you. Oh, I'm so excited that I get to tell someone what it is. Um, it's first of all, it's easy. So it has me written all over it because you know I don't do anything complicated in the kitchen. Um, but like you just take a board like you would do for like charcuterie. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then you take like a like a nice butter. No, I'm I'm not <laughs> knocking country crock. I'm just saying like don't. This is not a country crock time. You do that Irish one. Uh, yeah, get get uh, Carrie's Gold. Carrie's Gold, thank or you. Or get like some kind of French butter or something like, you know, elevate your butter game. And then you like let it, um, if you're like uh, some household refrigerate, others don't. Obviously, you're going to want softened butter. And mm. then you spread it around the board. And then you top it with whatever toppings you want. Some people are doing, and then you take fresh rolls and then you dip the rolls in it. Okay. Um, Why on a board? Uh, Why on a bowl? I think it's for the look. Okay. It's for a look. You're going to have to look into these videos. You're going to have to look into these videos and then you'll see. So people are topping them with like, some people are making them sweet. Some people are making them savory. Um, uh, doing all kinds of fresh herbs on top. Some people are doing edible flowers on top. Are you already looking over there? Uh, oh, someone shaped it. Oh, no, never mind. I don't think that's intentional. It kind of looks like a turkey. Oh. Uh, that would be really cute for Thanksgiving. It would be. And then people are doing all kinds of other stuff with them too now. So now, like, we're, we're going to take this to another level, you know. Because some people are doing cream cheese boards and then they're topping oh, it where it's like, kind of almost like a deconstructed um, lox bagel situation. Oh, okay. Right? So yeah, there's, yeah, yeah. you can get really creative with it. Someone yeah. will take it too far. Sure. So right. Somebody's going to be like, we need a Reese's peanut butter board. We need you a... haven't gone too far yet. But like, I mean, like I would also eat that, but like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but anyway, so, well, I'm so excited that I got to share that with you. So you'll have to look at them. I am like disappointed more. in my for you page. I'm actually getting a little frustrated because it's so Taylor Swift heavy and I love Taylor, but like not everybody's content needs to be on my for you page just because it mentions her. Mm. Um, and I don't get enough food. I get a lot of days in the life and Taylor okay. Swift. And I don't get enough food. I'm going to have to do something. You hear me? Hear me, TikTok? It does. Okay. Don't you worry about that. Good. Well, is there anything else we should talk about about Thanksgiving or should we talk about the women? Do you have any traditions for Thanksgiving weekend? It's kind of changed and evolved over the years. Um... But uh, normally it's it's sort of like that hustle that you're talking about, like yeah. where you're just trying to get the different family stuff accomplished. Yeah. Um, and that, that makes it sound like a chore and I don't mean for it to, but like sometimes we're just kind of running all over the map. I think the biggest thing for me is decorating. I can't do that this year. Um, oh. So uh, we're having some um, remodeling done at the house. So I've got, uh, uh, we're probably, I'm going to decorate the crap out of the bedroom. That's probably what's going to happen. Casey's going to come in. It's going to be like, uh, FAO Schwartz up in there in 1992. <laughs> um, so, or the Griswolds. Which we love, he'll love that. He loves Christmas vacation. <laughs> Everybody loves Christmas It'll just vacation. be like, it'll look like Times Square. <laughs> I'll be like, welcome. Welcome to our winter wonderland. Right. Just do like a, like a whole Santa's village in there. The decorating takes a long time. Yes, yeah, so the, mostly the whole weekend. That's actually. what it is for me. I mm-hmm. think that's, I dread that a little bit. I, yes, I get really excited about it and every year without fail, I'm like, oh, that's right. I hate this. Right. You just like finishing it, right? I like finishing it. Mm-hmm. And I really, really love cleaning it up in January and like that clean oh, you love slate, that part. fresh start. Oh, yeah. <sighs> so much crap everywhere all through December and just like. 
It's lovely. It's cozy, but I'm ready for a fresh, clean start. Yeah. Anyway. Are we ready for a fresh, we're almost ready for a fresh, clean start. (laughs) Hold on. Just go with me on this. Because we're very close to going to season four. Mm -hmm. But before we go on to season four of Designing Women, Mm -hmm. we have to wrap up season three. And what better way to do that than to talk about the finale of season three? Well done. Is it going in the books? Oh, that was a fantastic transition. transition books. That was a great transition. So this one is Julia drives over the First Amendment. When a newsstand opens near the office featuring a large display advertising a pornographic magazine, Julia runs through it with her car. Insisting that pornography is not free speech, she continues to do it until the publisher of the magazine, a woman who considers herself a feminist, sues her for violating her First Amendment rights. The air date was May 22nd, 1989. We're calling this one airbrushed and spread-eagled in a centerfold. Selena just cracked herself up all over again. Wait, I didn't say it. <laughs> it's not like I came up with that. Like, I don't have any gems like that. <laughs> uh, this one was written by LBT and Pamela Norris and directed by David Trainer. So, first up. Where does one start? First up, the reason I'm pausing for a second is because I actually think it was written just by Pamela Norris. Oh, okay. I don't think it's, and it's not. So I just looked it up. I think it's just Pamela Norris. Okay. So for the record, um, wanted to do that. Secondly, general reactions. So first up, Selena was wrong. Although (laughs) in my defense, that means either, that means uh, IMDB was wrong. Oh, yeah. So they're just, I mean, a trusted source until they're not, you know? Uh, General reactions. My very first general reaction was that, it was like a question, which is basically, is this really the hill that Julia's going to die on? A dirty magazine poster? I couldn't decide if, like, LBT, like, just wanted uh, the audience to be frustrated with Julia. Like, if that was, like, in the mix. But I found myself frustrated with her. Um, I'm going to go, like, just just so you know why. Because I don't think that really explains, okay, but what are you frustrated about? So, like, I'm all for standing up for something that you believe in. Absolutely I am. But this felt like more of an example of maybe not the best um, uh, pick your battles. Mm. And, you know, I'm, I also, I couldn't stop thinking the whole time, like about how she was accumulating these damages and these fines. And like, she's threatened with this huge $10 million lawsuit. And those actions are going to wind up hurting the people that she works with. It affects the business. It affects people who have livelihoods and families that they need to take care of. And so for me, it wound up feeling more selfish than like what I wanted to feel, which is like Julia being this champion of women's rights. Yes. I hated this. I, I'm just well. Spoil the ending <laughs> is that I hated this episode. Oh, good, it was we can skip right over that. Really then. hard for me to watch multiple times. Yeah. Um. And in fact, I did not watch it that many times. I didn't. I just didn't like it. I felt yeah. like, to your point, Julia was very immature. She was thoughtless. Um. And she was harming the wrong person. So like, she went after this newsstand owner who is almost sort of the messenger. He's the guy who's just trying to pay the bills instead of going straight to the top and saying, like, I have to look at this every day. There are kids who live down the street. Is there some way, you know, we can cover the magazines or like 
she she picked the the lowest guy on the totem pole and then just right. stuck it to him over and over again. Right, like yanking someone a um a fast food drive through window out, beating right. the crap out of him, being like, "Thanks for uh, making America obese." Exactly. Like what? Like, exactly. Yeah. Like I see these people get uppity with people who work in stores sometimes. Unfortunately, I don't see that many confrontations, but I saw one recently, and it was just like this poor person standing here did nothing wrong. They're literally just doing their job. So you've gone to the wrong person. Right. um, And you're taking it out on the wrong person. So this entire episode felt like that to me. I also felt like, of all people, Julia should have known the repercussions of driving into a newsstand because she's dating Reese, who's a lawyer. So she should have known this was coming. Oh, that's very pragmatic of you. (laughs) This was was what was going to come out of it, was that she was going to get sued. Yeah, and I I couldn't decide, like, and that's why I think I'm like, why is this the hill? Right. Because, like, I feel like it doesn't necessarily fill in line with her character to me. Mm. Um, Like, uh, because it's it's right up, it's butting up against violence, right? Yeah. You know, it didn't, it didn't strike me as out of character mm, at okay. all. It actually, other than, like, that disconnect of, like, I can't just run something over without any repercussions. That part was just a little hard to believe. But uh-huh. it feels like Julia to be so hard-headed and stubborn to just do whatever she wants. Like right. the whole world. It's it's her like, world what, and everybody else is just in it. I just ripped the poster down. I just felt like there was like a, a lot of A less destructive ways. way to do it. Hey, I mean, mm. it just doesn't really make any sense. Um, I also, yeah. I have one other thing I want to mention in general reactions. Okay. And maybe this will play out if you have some other general reactions. And I know you wanted to touch a little bit on the arguments that Julia had. Yep. Um, the showdown with Miss Wilder at the end between Charlene and Suzanne. Oh, uh-huh. I hated every second of that. Okay. They okay. looked like butts. They looked like, she looked mm-hmm. so in control of her emotions and mm-hmm. like so... Um, boss lady-ish and they looked like such jerks it's funny you say that i'm gonna skip to my strays because i think this fits in really nice with that and i do want to come back and talk about those arguments because that was really the mantelpiece for me on our on general reactions but when i i one of my strays is that i thought that suzanne was markedly different in this episode in contrast to the character that they have evolved her into over the course of the last three seasons oh yeah yeah, I tell me what you mean. I found um, that, especially in the scene that you're referencing right now, mm-hmm. she actually sounds like Julia to me. She no longer sounds like Suzanne. Uh, she, in her closing comments, and I don't know if, the, and this is going to kind of connect to like the name of the episode, even mm-hmm. that we're renaming it to. But when she's walking on the way out the door, she says. But I was just wondering, if you think it's so peachy keen, honey, how come we don't see you airbrushed and spread-eagled in a centerfold? Just Mm. asking. Now, that is almost a direct quote for what Julia says in the pilot of the entire show. Oh. She says something almost just like that, but about men versus women. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is also, I think, why I'm a little surprised to hear that LBT is not involved in writing it. Mm -hmm. Because that means Pamela is really doing her homework. Mm -hmm. Because she almost went and pulled an exact quote. So just to say, like, you didn't enjoy the way they acted in there. I didn't think it was in in, uh, tone with Suzanne's character. Yeah. So... Yeah. Eh. I thought she was maybe sort of channeling Julia because she was there on Julia's behalf. And she's been pretty clear that she's not a feminist. Yeah. And she was coming across uh, with some pretty feminist ideals right there in in that office. I'm just so, like, 
I, I feel like that was my last general reaction. I promised that. But I feel like this episode was intended to be like um, Julia, Suzanne, and Charlene were the champions for feminism and Miss Wilder was the bad guy. And I just don't feel like those two things are mutually exclusive. I'm glad that you said that because actually I think my problem is I don't know what the intention of the episode was. I don't think, I could be wrong. I don't think that LBT thinks it's okay to drive into a newsstand. I'm actually not sure that she thinks that Julia's actions were correct. Right. I'm almost wondering if what is playing out in this episode that is supposed to be a sitcom is almost like either Pamela or LBT or someone wrestling with these two very challenging concepts and freedom of speech. Mm-hmm. Cause we're going to get into that next. And then also women's rights mm-hmm. and how sometimes they're bumping up against one another. Mm-hmm. And maybe they're, isn't necessarily an answer unless you're some sort of freedom of speech purist or women's rights purist. Yeah. I I do feel like though I walked away from the episode thinking their intention was to make Miss Wilder look like the jerk. Mm. Although the more we talk. I think it's complicated. Yeah. I think it's complicated. I just, I remember turning it off and thinking they really want me to think that a woman who appears in pornography is a hundred percent of the time put upon and without a choice. And I just don't believe that. I don't think pornography is great. I don't think that it is. um, I do think that there are some people who are in porn who don't have any other choices. And so I don't think it's a great environment for them, but I also don't think every woman who appears in a centerfold is like put upon in some way. She's taken that check to the bank, and she's probably living a pretty good life otherwise. Well, I don't know if this is something. um, So pornography is one of a few different reasons why, from what I remember, um, I'm sure someone might disagree with me, but from what I remember was one of a few big reasons that the second wave of feminism fell apart. Mm. because people were so staunchly on one side or the other. Mm. So this is something, um, another one being abortion. There was some race issues that came up. There were a number of things that really um, were uh, circling that like you just couldn't get women on the same side about. And this is one of them. And I do have something that I can say about pornography, but we'll get there. Um, okay. <laughs> well, don't worry, guys. We'll get to the porn. Um, so... Uh, Nikki, let me ask you something. Do you have a lot of stray observations? Let, let's hit those first, and okay. then can we um, talk about the free speech thing? Because I think mm-hmm. that's almost a set, like a part an, in and of itself. Yeah. So Anthony's run-in with caffeine pills. Oh yeah. Uh, reminded me of my dance with the sugar-free rock stars my senior year of college. <laughs> okay. Have I told you this story before? I think so. I legitimately like detoxed after graduation. Like. Sh- my, I shook for days. I like withdrew for days. That's what that reminded me of. And so I 100% identified with that whole situation. Yeah, those, I thought, for, for the reason I was laughing is not you detoxing. Yeah, I know. I was hilarious. <laughs> I was laughing because for some reason, I thought you were going to mention that Saved by the Bell episode. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know so why. Excited. And I immediately wanted to laugh. So yeah. I'm so scared. Yeah. Um, so I have two fashion notes. Okay. One, Mary Jo's outfit in the opening scene is 
it's something. There's a lot going on there. It's like a, um, almost like a beaded bolero jacket. Right. Like it's kind of cropped. Like maybe short. like a bull yeah. fighter yeah. would wear. And then the wrong colors, maybe. Like a bright blue shirt underneath and some sort of like harem pants is what it looks like to I me. think those were really in style then. So the whole look. Mm. And then the other thing I wanted to mention is that um, Suzanne's hair in the um, opening scene is like dangerously close to a mullet. The okay, first time yeah. I looked up and saw her, I was like, she have a mullet? Because that's what that looks like to me. Yeah, that's that's It wasn't fair. a good look. Yeah. Eighty nine is tough. Those were my strays. I told you there weren't many. Okay, and they I'll, were very stray. I only have one other one because we already talked about mine being Suzanne being so different. It's just, you know, money got mentioned, so I had to go get out the inflation calculator. Oh boy. Uh, the damages Julia caused at the newsstand and the fine came out to six hundred and four dollars, which is roughly fifteen hundred dollars today. She hit it three times during the episode, so that would be forty five hundred dollars. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. Yeah. The $10 million lawsuit will be roughly $24 million. So just to say that um, if we're talking about how maybe she was like barking up the wrong tree and the kind of damage that she really would have been doing, I think those numbers sort of punctuate that point. What a stupid way to fight back against something. That's not the best. Um, so, so, yeah, so let's take this detour. Um, if we can, about, um, about freedom of speech, because that really is a huge undercurrent in this episode that I don't think either one of us could probably ignore. If we just remind people that we're both journalism of the journalism per- persuasion. <laughs> I don't know what that means. I don't know. I don't think I want to be in that crew. <laughs> What is the journalism persuasion? <laughs> um, but so we both went to journalism school. And That's so, uh, you know, comms law, studying the First Amendment, understanding the First Amendment is something that we both um, went through. <laughs> um, it w- It's hard. It's hard, y'all. It's challenging. It, it was one of the hardest classes I took, but I loved it. I loved it so much that I was like, maybe I should have gone into law. And, like, that's how much I loved it. I didn't think that. <laughs> You're like, thank God I'm getting out of this. So glad this was one semester. Uh, hard. We, I think we spent almost in the entire semester, if not, like, most of it, breaking down every clause of the First Amendment. Mm. And so anytime that someone starts throwing around, like, oh, I understand the First Amendment, it just automatically sends up red flags for me. Mm. And so what we've done um, is, or what I did, is I went and I pulled three main arguments that I heard Julia make over the course of the episode. And I just thought that maybe you and I could um, share those with the listeners, and then you and I can react to those three arguments. Mm -hmm. So the very first thing that she says is, I believe in the First Amendment as much as anybody else, but I also know that when our forefathers were fighting and dying at Valley Forge, they were not really doing it to protect a publication called Hot Tushies. You want to start or do you want me to start? You can start. So the first thing I want to say is that, first of all, you could hear us just bursting out in laughter, but fair enough, I do understand that this is, this is meant to be a joke. But if we're going to think about purely about the argument here, I think my issue is that I'd not pin first American protections to 18th century proclivities. Because 
and it's surprising to me. It's surprising to me that a character like Julia would. There were a lot of things that matter to us today that these men, and I do mean men, upper class men, uh, land owning men in in America that don't like that didn't matter to them, and they were not fighting for them. And we also have amendments to provide us with flexibility that the Constitution alone does not offer. Yeah, this this argument reminds me a lot of the Second Amendment arguments people make. And um, oh, this, you want to you want this conversation to get juicy? It's <laughs> like just general presumption that something that was written almost two hundred and thirty years ago is like beyond reproach and. Um, doesn't like it it just stands the test of time forever and when it was written like there were so many things that the forefathers weren't taking into account because they couldn't they couldn't, couldn't tell about. the future right so they didn't know anything about the internet people 50 years ago didn't know about the internet so they could never have taken that into account they couldn't have taken into account mass magazine production mm-hmm. um the pornography video industry like they couldn't have accounted for any of that so she's right they they didn't do it for that but only because they didn't know about that. So it's like, it's sometimes the arguments in here felt like, I just want to be like, so what? Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. Right. That that argument was like, we want, I think it's it's, be- it's this beautiful idea to think that this document that written was written so long ago and will stand the test of time and will guide our union into this beautiful future. But the truth is, it was written before so many other things changed the landscape of our society. And so there has to be some interpretation of it sometimes. Or like, and why why does it have to be so flush this way or flush the other way? Like, why can't there just be like some middle ground? And I think that's what, I I don't want to speak for you, but I think that's some of the conversations that we've had over the years, um, just in our friendship, where just frustration over uh, people just uh, guardrail the guardrail. Yeah. In so many things in life. And I don't care if you're talking about politics or the workplace or just like how you feel about something on TV. It's just like, can we not find some common middle ground? And I think that's what bothered me so much about this episode was that none of the characters found middle ground, Mm -hmm. which is strange for this show because Mm -hmm. there's usually a Mary Jo or a Charlene who says like, but did you think about it this way? But we only got Julia saying no porn and Miss Wilder saying, I make a lot of money off porn, so porn all day long. And there was no one really in the middle. I thought Mary Jo was. That's in my mm-hmm. likes. And, mm-hmm. um, and I, can, I can go into that a little bit more then or now. Uh, it, but she, I think she, she doesn't, I, she's definitely bristling at Julia. Mm. Um, but Julia just shuts her down. And that kind of plays into some of these arguments as well. Yeah, I feel like then they should have played that up because I didn't get that at all. I, I agree. It T- was Telling enough. Julia, like, mm, just stop running into the newsstand she wasn't even is not the her. same as saying, like, you're being excessive. She wasn't even telling her. Mm. She was saying it in separate scenes. Yeah. It was like she, but I think that comes into play with like the fact that Mary Jo is a character that's been developed who has such a hard time voicing her opinion mm. that I don't think that she felt like she could go up against Julia, but she actually made some good points. Mm. Um, uh, so the second argument, am I moving on too quickly? Okay, the second argument is, do you honestly believe that anyone has a constitutional right to show a poster of a woman being degraded, chained up with a dog collar, and whipped? You couldn't show a black man depicted that way because it would be considered incendiary speech. Now, I think she said it weird, whatever she said. 
and the script didn't catch it exactly correctly, but I can't imagine that she meant anything other than incendiary speech. Um, but anyways, and then she goes on to say, so why would we demand any less for women? You want to go ahead and knock this one or <laughs> knock this out or take this on? <laughs> well, I remember watching this at the very beginning of the season when we were just sort of doing our pre-screen and mm -hmm. this made me gasp. <laughs> like just the, I was just like, wait, what? Hold on. Did she really just say that? Like yeah. it just surprised me. And then as we were re-watching in preparation for this recording, I processed my feelings a little bit more around it and got beyond just that initial knee-jerk reaction. And I really still think, I think it was super inappropriate. It's not the first time she's made that argument. Yes. Yes. That sounds familiar. Yeah. In the Monique Monica argument, she said the same thing. And you and I both were like, what? It's just not, I don't think those are two things that are fair to put side by side. Didn't care for it then, don't care for it now. Yeah. yeah no, it was, um, it was like. It just felt wrong, even on first watch and then on multiple watches. It's like, but this is a totally different thing. Well, also, what do we gain from pitting yeah. two historically marginalized groups against one another? Yeah. What does that gain us? Yeah. Um, and I think that's a little frustrate, frustrating. I have some other thoughts, but... Um, and it also sort of like almost assumes that we're past the racial issues. Like it almost just assumes that like... We all know that would be wrong to do to a black person, mm -hmm. which one, I don't think is true. Mm -hmm. I don't, I think there's the not insubstantial amount of Americans, which we learned in as recently as 2020, but even like today, there's not an insubstantial number of Americans who like probably would fight to see that somewhere. Mm -hmm. Like who would say like, it's free speech, we should be able to do that. So the way she says it is almost like, Black people, have, they, they, like, that's all sorted out. That's not a problem anymore. It's women we really need to worry about. And, yeah, to your point, like, why? Right. And, I mean, as, the other thing, so aside from, like, that, like, piece of it where you're just like, what, what are you talking about? <laughs> I'm also not sure that her example holds in a court of law. Like, just if you just want to get down to the brass tacks of it. So. I forgot. You're a lawyer. Go ahead. Help us understand. <laughs> The best part will be when a lawyer's like, you're an idiot. She took mass comms law one semester in college. How like, Don't dare worry. you. Yeah. But I think I think it would have to pass an um it would have to pass the imminent lawless action test for incitement. That's why that's why incendiary speech is a big deal in the first place because you can't incitement is actually not protected because then it becomes a matter of public safety. The classic example, which I think a lot of people who are like in law hate, is that but it was said by a Supreme Court justice, you can't shout fire in a crowded theater. So it just doesn't really pass that same level of merit that I think she thinks it does. And then the other, on the other hand, the court of public opinion might deservedly eat the responsible party alive um, for showing that in a way that wasn't like, I don't know, um, in a movie reference or something. Mm -hmm. um, but that, that's a whole different, the, the court of public opinion doesn't have anything to do with protected speech. Allegedly. <laughs> Allegedly. Um, so there was one more argument 
that she made, and she says, the First Amendment was designed to protect political speech, and everybody knows it. Now we've already wasted a day on this silliness, and I don't want to discuss it anymore. So before we even jump in, I have to say that the worst thing I think you can do in an argument is drop your opinion and then tell people that you don't want to talk about it anymore. That would make me so mad. I'd be like, oh no, we're going to talk about it. (laughs) How about until the cows come home? I'm like, you can just ask Casey. We've wasted all this time on it because of you. Right. You're the reason. The rest of us were content to just look the other way. Yeah, don't whistle and walk away on exactly. this one. Yeah. Um, so I think that was the first thing that really bugged me about that. And then just the other thing is just this sort of this idea that, like, everybody knows it. I'm like, no. No, no, but probably very few people really know much about the First Amendment other than, like, these really big tent poles. Well, and it's also sort of speaking out of both sides of your mouth, again, to go back to the point that the Constitution Mm. is such an old document that, like, what was intended when it was written doesn't quite track with what the reality is now. Oh, cue me up. Should we talk about the Second Amendment again? Yeah, let's let's just talk about the Second Amendment. Let's just not even talk about designing women, and we'll talk about, like, we'll just straight up talk about abortion and gun laws for the rest of this. And we'll not make anyone angry, and everyone will come flocking to our side. But it's, it's sort of the same argument, which is, like, maybe that's what it was intended for. Maybe, but then there has to be that level of flexibility to adjust for society that's the thing that's funny is like even if you talk to scholars they're all fighting about it they don't know yeah there's a lot of disagreement there you know why because none of us were alive we weren't alive we weren't in the room talk to anybody you know what the thing is is even if we had been in the room there would still be disagreements so i actually um like because the thing is is i do think like protecting political speech as part of the basis, I think that that is probably partially accurate um, to the best that we can put together over, you know, our knowledge of history or whatever. But, it, you know, so, like leading First Amendment scholars, some of them will tell you that there really isn't a clear, consistent vision of what the framers meant by freedom of speech. Mm. So uh, I found this Richmond Law article, and, uh, you know, it is they, they talk about how it is helpful to look back at original meaning, but you can't just, like, pin all your hopes and dreams to that, which I think is very much so exactly what you're saying. Again, it's like this idea of, can we please find some common ground? Um, well, another thing that it was talking about, too, is, like, um, similar to what you're saying, so many things have evolved since the 18th century from, but that's like, not just like the way the world has changed, but like from how the first amendment is applied and enforced to the very concept of rights themselves. They looked at rights very differently than the way that we look at rights today. Hmm. This podcast is not long enough to go through that, but we will link to that article in case anybody wants to read and, and interpret for themselves because obviously this is coming through my brain and the way that I interpreted the article. But finally, um, one thing that was just circling for me about this entire thing, both by 1989 and today, pornography actually is protected speech. So with the exception of obscenity and child pornography. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that's just that's just been... That's been settled in a court of law. Doesn't mean it couldn't come up again. But I feel pretty confident that a poster of a woman in rubber underwear wearing a dog collar and chains, which is basically something I've seen in an issue of Cosmo before, Mm. is probably not going to fail the court's Miller test for obscenity. So she's also just kind of wrong. Yeah. Uh, I got one thing that I want to say about pornography. And then... (laughs) Just one thing? (laughs) 
I got 18 things. No, um, uh, I do think there is a more con- serious conversation to be had about the pros and cons of pornography. And this, like, and I think that was one of my problems with this episode is like, we're like skirting around it, but we're not really saying anything that's like helpful about it. Um, right. And I just like, I don't want to go too far into this cause that would be like its own whole thing. But I was, I got curious about what does the science say about the pros and cons of porn? And I, uh, I found a, of all places, a medical news today article where they like broke down like all the, um, most recent research and, uh, you know, where like they're able to look at like, well, what's good about it and what's risky about it. Um, well, we can link to that for you to peruse at your leisure, but, uh, here's the summary from there that I think is really helpful and kind of lets you know where at least the science is in that article. They say pornography can be good, bad, or neutral. It depends on how a person uses it, the type, the type the person consumes and the effect their use has on their relationship and life. The current evidence for its positives and negatives is mixed. More research is needed on the psychological and physical implications. It can be beneficial. It can also carry risk. All I could think was heavens and stars. That sounds like everything else on earth. Yeah. I mean, I think of pornography in the same vein that I think of alcohol and cigarettes and e-cigarettes. And meth. And drugs. Like, well, maybe not meth. Not meth. Like weed. But yes. Like, yes. These things where, like, excess is mm-hmm. the problem. Mm-hmm. It's not the thing. It, food. Food can be that way. It's not in sugar. It's not the thing. It's the excess of the thing. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's where, like, trying to shut down pornography altogether, it, if, if Julia's whole thing is about protecting the American way, which is what it is when she uses constitutional arguments, then what she's suggesting is shutting down any freedom of choice for people. Right. Because you can't choose to watch porn. Right. If if you can choose to watch porn within a moral compass that works for you in a way that's not objectified, objectifying children, that's not physically harming women, then you are presumably consuming it and in a way that doesn't like ruin your family or tear apart your life, then you're consuming it in a moderated way, similar to the way people would have beer on game day. Mm-hmm. And... So it just like the whole, the whole thing sort of falls apart. Well, and I think like people uh, get this idea like this, like is somehow newer from the moment that someone could pick up a charcoal pencil oh, for sure. and put down an, a nudie, you know, they were doing it. And what's to say again, going back to the thing about, we don't know what was in the founding father's heads. Like, how do we know that's not what they were trying to protect? Cause they had a couple of, what would you call those? Like, what are they? Lithograph? magazines oh. <laughs> that the queen the queen of england would have like had them hung for having and all they wanted to say was like we should have the right to have these in our bedrooms if we want them you know mm-hmm. it's just it, i hate this episode <laughs> <laughs> um which is great because we were about to segue into that part about what we liked and it'll be really quick for nikki no, actually, you know, what's really funny is what my is list of things I liked is much longer than my list of things I didn't like. Okay. Isn't that, isn't that a real mind twist? It might be. I keep you on your toes. I like to be kept on my toes. Um, why don't you uh, start us off with some things you like then? So Anthony's caffeine pill display at the beginning, and I mentioned that earlier on in my strays, that was everything to me. It was so well delivered, and it just 
it made me laugh so hard. And I think the rest of my likes were very similar to that. It was the comedic timing of the episode that saved it for me. Yeah. Like we're dealing with this very heady, um, deep issue. And then in the meantime, Charlene's categorizing her pop culture obsession as a, th- what did she say? A, an incredible thirst for knowledge. And, um, Suzanne says every time Julia enters or leaves this house, she's going to see that picture and she's going to be ranting and she's going to be raving. She's going to be carrying on like some kind of hyena and we're all going to have to pretend like we care. And then you hear the car crash and Julia comes in. Um, I mean, I give this one to Julia. I myself may not be able to define pornography, but I know it when I run over it. Mm-hmm. That was really funny. Um, Suzanne says, I find it's just about impossible to be too mad about injustice if I know I look really good. <laughs> Um, and then Anthony called out the irony of them always talking about his time in jail and collectively the women have spent more time running in with the law over the course of these three seasons than we've ever seen Anthony in jail or talking to a police officer. And all of those things combined, like that was the, the nuggets of the episode that I was like, okay, this is enjoyable. Can I add one? Yeah. Um, Mary Jo thinking the magazine Jugs was a new design magazine about pottery and porcelain. <laughs> I love that. Very funny. I love that for her. Love that for her. It's just that light, nice little bubble. Especially for it to be her. So I had several examples of writing that I liked. Yeah. I also thought that Suzanne's speech about the lost art of begging was good oh as they God. were on the way to beg for Julia. <laughs> um, so I, I, that one actually sat with me for a while. I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Whatever it takes, man. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. That's right. Um, this is circling back to something you said, like, um, so Mary Jo, I actually saw as the voice of reason in this episode, but I think Sometimes if you, you didn't, can be wrong, if you didn't hear it, then it wasn't enough. Yeah. And I think, um, I think that's a, that is a fair and valid point. Um, one of the arguments that she makes, but like I said, she made it every time Julia was out of the room. Okay. But she said like, she was talking about Julia's protest is actually being censorship. Mm. which it just like these two things that don't really align for obvious reasons. And Mm. so she used some other good examples, like uh, people protesting capital punishment by lynching anybody who's for it. Mm. Like, Oh, that's how much sense it makes. Mm. She also talks about, um, I have this in references, but since we're talking specifically about this, um, piece about her being able to be some kind of voice of reason in the episode and things that I liked. She also talked about um, Salman Rushdie's uh, book that he wrote in the late 80s called The Satanic Verses or something like that. Okay, so he writes that book, and then um, the Alatola Khamenei winds up putting out a, a fatwa on him. And um, this was like a huge deal in the late 80s. And um, then radio stations, Mary Jo talks about radio stations here to a uh i'm sorry i skipped something so cat stevens comes it's like an there's a lot of different things that are going on here this is going to be great and so cat stevens takes the ayatollah side right right and he takes the ayatollah side and when he does um, um like americans get really pissed off and they decide to start burning his records because they think he should have had freedom of speech, and the fact that the Ayatollah is trying to have him murdered for having freedom of speech is anti-American, essentially. Right. And so just kind of like the Mary Jo's point being in her different examples is like... So you silence Cat Stevens because you're angry that he's trying to silence Salman, Salman Rushdie. Rushdie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, what about the things that we didn't like besides the episode? 
you know, so I used a lot of examples of the writing and uh, as things I liked. And I would say that, like, I had so many examples because the writing was so good. Mm-hmm. Um, I really just hated the storyline. Mm-hmm. It just felt, like, dated even for the 80s. It just felt like this conversation, we just felt like we had moved past or something. Um, and felt so polarizing for no end results. This is like one of those cases, and I didn't look into it, but I, I, I am at something had to have been going on at the time. I've, I've, maybe not, but if it, maybe maybe it is all the conversations around Salmon Rushdie. Yeah. Maybe it is that maybe there was something going on with the um, adult entertainment industry at the time, you know. Yeah. Um, but something definitely had her wheels turning. Um, I'm sorry. Can I just say one more thing? Also, as that was as I was saying that, I was also thinking like. I said right there at the end, like, it came to no useful conclusion because in the very end, Julia just runs through the sign again. And it speaks to a level of privilege that Julia has, that she can just throw this money away to nothing instead of taking that $4,600 or whatever that math added up to be and put it towards a scholarship for women who are trying to go to college and they're using um, – you know, their centerfold position at Playboy as a way to pay for college. Oh, you don't have to do that anymore. Here's $4,500 you can use this semester. Like there's so many other useful things she could have done, but she had that privilege that she could do that. Why was this the hill she had to die on? It makes no sense. It makes no sense. And to go out this season on this note of such a like polarized, unnecessary storyline. Right, with no resolve. I also hated that. Um, so my didn't like is just one thing. And I just have, ugh, Julia. I just She's was such not. such a jerk in this episode. Yeah, it was not working for me. So probably no reason to belabor mm-hmm. our <laughs> rating. <laughs> Should that be my rating scale? Uh. Oh, I like that. How many <laughs> are you giving? Actually, I don't want to, um shift from my actual rating scale, oh. which is zippy up pills, oh, which is what good. Anthony was taking. That's good. I'm giving it 2.5 out of 5, okay. which feels very generous. But the writing, I had so many examples of solid sure. writing yeah. that I didn't want to lose that. There were just a lot of really funny lines. So 2.5. I give it 3.4 out of 5 posters of ill repute. <laughs> so I don't think I, I don't think I, um, it didn't bother me in the way it bothered you, but I definitely think of it as a flawed episode. So I think 3.4 is rounding out to be my (laughs) eh, rating. So who won the episode or who buttered our biscuits? I think Terry Wilder, the publisher, won. I thought she was really calm and polished. Mm -hmm. She didn't bend to the women's ridiculousness. Plus, she's getting money out of Julia one way or the other. That's true. Mm -hmm. So I think she came out the winner. Okay. Uh, well, I, I, I kind of thought that, um, uh, similar tone with the episode. I don't, the, the episode didn't bother me as much as you did. I don't think. Sue as much Stig- as I did. As much as, yeah. Not you. It, Let's have that conversation. This is what happens when I try and hold three points in my head at one time. <laughs> so the episode didn't bother me as much as it did you. Mm-hmm. In thinking with that, I think Suzanne and Charlene bothered you more in the office with her. Than with the publisher than she than they did me okay because I actually thought that they were our unsung heroes because frankly I think they're the main reason that the publisher 
let Julia out of the lawsuit. Oh, for sure. Um, so that was that was my winner. But also, I kind of think maybe in a larger sense, the adult entertainment industry mm-hmm. is the winner because they're doing better than ever now. They're doing fine. They have their own award show. Got it all sorted out. Oh, it's all sorted. Um, and so who lost the episode or served us lumpy gravy? I don't think we even need to have this conversation. It was Julia. Yeah. We've, but she's the worst. Yeah. We don't. We, we won't have to... Um, Revisit that again. 80s things? Just the concept of Madonna or Sybil Shepherd having a fight with someone. Mm-hmm. I feel like Charlene maybe mentioned that when she was talking about the tabloid she looks at. That's good. That's good. Mine was just so many paper magazines. So not 80s, mm. just dated. Yeah. Um, and then just the very concept of newsstands. Yeah. Since you don't really see them unless you're in like... An airport. <laughs> thank you. A desperate situation. <laughs> The airport. I'm sorry. <laughs> Except for all of our esteemed newsstand owners. God, I love a magazine, though. I love a magazine. I'm not. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, I, I don't want to um, poo-poo on them or anything. It's just you they're don't just, see them a lot. They're either. so expensive. It's like five dollars if you're lucky for a periodic for like something that you're gonna read and be done with. Yeah, so expensive and wasteful. And but they are awesome, so I don't know. But what it's to say. not the same concept. Like I've tried reading them on a Kindle or on the iPad or whatever. It's not the same. Yeah, and it's for whatever paper. reason, I just struggle with like uh, the the cost of digital content, which I think just speaks to my age. I it's just, a real I problem. Can't, can't wrap my head around it. Yeah. Same way that I can't wrap my head around paying for space on my phone, we're which the, I'm doing now. But the LimeWire well, Napster generation, so you'll never yeah, convince we were me that I need to pay for this stuff. We were just outli- outright thieving. <laughs> and so I don't understand this payment concept. <laughs> Sorry, I just feel like we're a conditioned saying it. Yeah. Um, uh, did you have other 80s things? No. Okay. That was really mine, all of mine, but Southern things. Did you have, I didn't have any there either. Nothing. I actually started to rewatch it today and I didn't get, except for like one and a half minutes in <laughs> because I was like, I have no Southern things, but this is not something that hasn't happened before. So, um, I didn't hear any Southern porn reference. <laughs> um, and now I just want to come up with names for those magazines that will go on to references we need to talk about. Well, you actually mentioned this earlier, um, the assassination attempts on Salman Rushdie mm-hmm. and the fatwa from the Ayatollah Khomeini. Um, I think you covered it in really good detail. Something like that. The Tried. thing that I will add mm-hmm. is that um, Salman Rushdie was attacked as early as earlier this year, um, recently, within the last couple of months. Oh, and is I actually, didn't know that. Oh, yeah. He was giving a speech at... I'm going to say, I want to say NYU, but somewhere in New York for sure. Uh And, um, was attacked and he's lost the vision in one of his eyes as a result of the attack. Oh, wow. I just need to pay attention to the news. And he's lost the use of one of his hands. So, um, for anyone who doesn't know, um, a fatwa is essentially an edict, um, by, a a central figure um, in Islam. In this case, it was the Ayatollah Khomeini. And over the years, so that was issued in 1988, was sort of this edict that that he needed to be killed because he was in direct um, uh, conflict with uh, the Islamic religion because he was was sort of um, saying some 
not so great things about a central book of Islam. And so the Ayatollah put out this edict to say, like, murder this man. He needs to be killed. And over the years, there have been conversations about whether that could be revoked because it do, is it really necessary? But a, a fatwa cannot be revoked um, by anyone. So it's still in place. He was attacked earlier this year. And um, it sounds like this is the most violent attack that's ever he's ever experienced. Hmm. Um, but, yeah, it's really sad. Wow. Uh that is sad. Um, that was the only reference I had we need to talk about. So I think, like, actually, I went down, like, a pretty big Cat Stevens mm. um, rabbit hole. So I won't take everyone down the 45-minute rabbit hole I went down. Um, but I guess, like, outside of the fact that I have some Cat Stevens songs that I really appreciate, I, I didn't know anything about this situation. Mm. Um, I did not know that he had converted to Islam. Um, and he did in the late 70s, I believe. There was a New York Times article because uh, I wasn't sure, like, what, it doesn't say anything in the episode about what he says that, like, makes Americans mad. Mm. So, But they were, he, like, went and he participated in this Brit- televised British panel where they're discussing this larger situation with Rushdie um, and the Ayatollah. And when they do, he makes, they, they have his comments there in quotes, you know, and they're pretty threatening. Mm. So, um I mean, they're not just like, I disagree with what Salman Rushdie did. You know what I'm saying? It's a little bit more pronounced than that, we'll say. And Incendiary, would you say? I might say it is. <laughs> and um, there was also an AP article from the time that talked about several radio stations dropping his music altogether, while others had no Cat Stevens weekends. I'm saying this because I actually wasn't able to track back where any radio stations were burning his records. Mm. I did find where lots of Americans were gathering and, and burning them, or like, I, I don't know lots, but it did, it is referenced that there were these large bonfires that were put on. I actually think what sounds the most American is this, and that's that there's a radio personality in L.A. He's the one who asked people to bring their records in to burn, but the fire department wouldn't grant them a permit. And that is the most American thing that I can think of. So we threw them in a trash can and stuff. <laughs> well, they were going to steamroll them. It was like this whole <laughs> oh, big gosh. thing. I hope they were going to recycle them into other records. So I think the other problem was, is like, uh, it's not like these radio stations. They're just like all on the same page, you know? So there was pushback at the radio station for like people being like, hey man, you're also like, this is also against freedom of speech, which right. you're doing right now. So I just, I thought that whole story was very fascinating. And it's so funny to me because it's just distilled into like a 10 second clip from Mary Jo. And I was like, what? what any of this is except for the Salman Rushdie thing mm. um and then my only other reference was Dan Quell is referenced and of course for those of you who do not know he was George H.W.'s <laughs> vice president <laughs> and he couldn't spell potato <laughs> who among us can say they know how to spell potatoes <laughs> just you and me but there are many <laughs> other things that I don't know how to do. And I honestly, I, I mentioned that too to say, I think we're, we'll see some more about Dan Quell again. <laughs> I think LVT had a real... <laughs> a lot of people had an axe to grind. <laughs> right. But I think it's just like, all I'll say is, especially from this experience here, is who among us wants to have one clip of us taken and played over <laughs> and over and over again. For the rest of our lives. Especially if you're like going around and giving speeches and you have a very public job. Like, you know what we do when we talk a lot? We screw up. Yeah. And so it just like also trying to just put on my human being hat and be like, man, that really sucks. <laughs> so 
I this is sort of a tangent, but I think it was um, Selena Gomez has a new documentary out, and I've been seeing snippets of her documentary. And one of the things she said is, "It's so frustrating when you say something one time." Nope, sorry, I'm confusing my celebrities. It's Miley Cyrus. She says it is so frustrating to me how you say something one time and it becomes your entire personality because it's all people remember about you. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think about that with presidents and very public figures. How oh, how terrifying that whole livelihood is to me. Terrifying. It really is. Because I say dumb stuff all the time. All the time. I'm thinking about myself. (laughs) I've said... She's so stupid. I've said like 18 dumb things here, and you had to save me. It's 19 times. It's out of the 18. Um, So, uh, did you have any other references or cut lines? Just one. There was a cut line about Julia's stubborn streak as a child. Um, so Suzanne says, Julia just would not go to bed. I mean, they'd put her down and two minutes later, she'd come toddling into the parlor with her little footy pajamas. I mean, this happened about three, four times. And then daddy, he paddled her and he paddled her good. Of course, Julia wouldn't cry. She just stood there holding her little bottom with both hands going (laughs) stubborn. Then of course, daddy said to mother, he thought Julia could stay up as late as she wanted to after all. What did you do? Charlene, I wasn't even born yet, but I always did whatever they wanted. All they had to do was pay me. Yeah, well, if Julia's stubborn this time, she's going to have to hold her little bottom $10 million worth. That's going to hurt pretty bad. Mm. So she's always been kind of a pain. Mm -hmm. Good to know. Good to know. So, bridging back to your very first bridge into the episode, we're done. Bridge us out. Season three is done. Our next episode is going to be the finale finale, where we reflect on season three of Designing Women and Sweet Tea and TV. Time marches on. Yep. <laughs> Does. So we'd love everyone to follow along with us and engage. Instagram and Facebook at Sweet Tea and TV. Email sweetteatvpod at gmail.com. And our website is www.sweetteatv.com. There are also several ways to support the show. Tell your family and friends about us. Rate and or review the podcast wherever you listen. And you can also visit the Support Us tab on our page to find some additional ways you can support us, including joining our Patreon, where we do occasionally do extra content just for the Patreons. Um, And hang tight for Extra Sugar, where we're going to talk about censorship. Oh, there you go. Well, you know what that means. What does it mean, Selena? We'll see you around the bend. Welcome to this week's edition of Extra Sugar. I want to start off this segment with a question. Uh-oh. Now, this isn't really a question for you. Okay. Good. Or at least, like, let's pause so that people have a second to, you know, come up with the answer. What do these books have in common? The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald, The Grapes of Wrath and Of Mice and Men by John Steinbeck, To Kill a Mockingbird by Harper Lee, The Color Purple by Alice Walker, and The Lord of the Rings by J.R.R. Tolkien. So hold your answer. And now tell me, Nikki, do you know what all these books have in common? They've all been banned at one point in time or another. Oh, was that difficult for you? (sighs) Did I get it right? (laughs) They all appear on a list of books that have been banned, challenged, or in some cases even burned. Good God. It's just like 
calm down. (laughs) (laughs) So for anyone thinking, sure, but that was like 50 years ago, two of these books were among the top 10 most challenged books in 2020, To Kill a Mockingbird and Of Mice and Men. I think uh, we all know what book burning means. <laughs> I don't think I need to explain that. But in case you don't know, a challenge is an attempt to remove or restrict materials. And this is based on the objections of a person or a group. A banning, on the other hand, is a removal of those materials entirely. So it's, you know, a little a little bit different. Um, these are both forms of censorship or the suppression or prohibition of any parts of books, films, news, etc., that are considered obscene, politically unacceptable, or a threat to security. So, Nikki, before I go on, per the usual, stop me if you have questions or if you have anything that you want to add. Was Fifty Shades of Grey on that list? <laughs> That's a great question. That book is, like, intense. Badly written? It's horribly written. There are typos in it. <laughs> there, I remember I've never read it, it so it shouldn't be unfair, but... There are typos. Yeah. Uh, it's a, it's a fine story. Like, whatever. It's a fine story. It's very graphic. Yeah. So... Yeah. The Great Gatsby. If you're going to, like, revoke that, then Fifty Shades of Grey. I've seen th- and read things from the public library. They're a little eyebrow raising. I like to have my eyebrows raised. It makes me feel alive. I don't like it because it gives me these wrinkles. Right oh, there. good point. Well, I don't like I don't like to have my 11s. Right. Or tree Whatever. trunks, depending yeah. on... <laughs> depending on... <laughs> Depending on who you are. So, okay. Well, so I ran across a a New York Times article. And in that article, and I'm quoting here, it said, Parents, activists, school board officials, and lawmakers are challenging books at a pace not seen in decades. At the same time, schools are mired in debates over what students should learn about in in U.S. history. In the last two years, dozens of state legislators introduced bills that would limit what teachers can say about race, gender, sexuality, and inequality. I think that last point is important because it means we're not just censoring classroom materials, we're censoring educators. And I would urge us to think about the precedent we're setting, especially legislatively, because it's all good until they take away your right to speak about what you believe in. So what is this record pace that the New York Times is referring to? Uh, This is something according to the American Library Association. Between January 1st and August 31st of this year, there were 681 documented attempts to ban or restrict library sources. 1,651 unique titles were targeted. This puts us on track to surpass the 729 reported attempts in 2021, a year that represented the highest number of attempted book bans since the ALA, or American Library Association, began compiling these lists in 1990. The majority of these attempts, 70%, have targeted multiple titles, too, whereas in the past, these attempts targeted one book. So, there is other evidence that this censorship is more strategic. So according to PEN American CEO Susan Nozzle, while the U.S. has a long history of banning books, communities are taking more formalized steps to get specific books off the shelves, as in, again, like this legislation to ban books across entire states. Books about people of color and LGBTQ are overwhelmingly targeted. And she also honed in on my concern, and that's the loss of free speech. And it's happening on the right and the left. 
Both sides have their quote-unquote reasons, and in both cases, despite intentions, it will backfire. It is backfiring. So, how can we fight back, and what can we do? According to Banned Books Week Coalition website, here are five ways to help. Is this going to include me paying for digital content? (laughs) Because we're not going there. Uh, I don't, I think it's a little broader than that. So you're in the clear. Cool. The first thing that we all have to do is we all have to know our rights. When we don't know them or we don't defend them, censorship thrives. Uh, I do think it's, it does get complicated too, especially because I think when I think about banned books, I, th- I think about young people a lot. I think about school libraries. Um, I think about the classroom, uh, much of like what I've already talked about kind of alludes to. And so for young people, because when you're under 18 in this country, um, your First Amendment rights, are they're not the same, uh, but for in the name of different protections. So I think, uh, it, I think it's important to know that. And I, I remember being younger and learning about that. And, oh, God, that really just, that really just pissed me off. Um, I thought you were going to say chapped your hide. It, it also chapped my hide. Um, so number two, if you're an educator, librarian, or bookseller, be prepared for challenges and bans. Uh, number three, stay informed about what's going on in your community. Number four, report censorship. And uh, we're going to provide a link where you can find different options for that. And then number five, speak out. And that includes books you may or may not care for. Because censorship is censorship. There's also banned book, banned books week. Try and say that five times fast for me, will you? Uh, which is the same website where these five different things we can do came from. But this is an annual event celebrating the freedom to read. It's typically held during the last week of September, bringing together the entire book community. That's librarians, booksellers, publishers, journalists, teachers, and readers of all types in shared support of the freedom to seek and to express ideas, even those some consider unorthodox or unpopular. Censorship doesn't start and end with books. It has a long and storied history here in the U.S. and one that has seeped into whatever it is that we consume. It's often cited as a protection, and it has been in some cases, no doubt. But many times, it is a thinly veiled attempt to suppress free speech. So, real free speech isn't just a right in this country. It is a responsibility. That means that sometimes you have to be okay with someone burning an American flag. It means that so long as it's peaceful, you have to let it go when the KKK uh, decide to gather right here in your own backyard at Stone Mountain. It's just something, it's going to happen. It means making peace with the fact that there are a-holes out there with terrible opinions. And why? Because I don't want to lose mine. Because letting people say what they think, even when we disagree, is the lifeblood of any democracy. And democracy dies in the darkness. So, what do you say we keep the lights on? And that's this week's Extra Sugar.